0: It seems that almost everyone these days is starting to talk about our attachment style and how that impacts us in relationship. But what do you do with that information? How do you make it practical? And are you held prisoner somehow by your attachment style? And in the end, how can you leverage what you learn so that inevitably when it comes time to repair something that's gone wrong in your relationship, you can use what you know to the advantage of your relationship so that you and your partner can repair successfully no matter what your attachment style is. That is what we are going to talk about today. Also, I would love to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to fill out a quick anonymous survey to help out. All you have to do is visit neilsatin.com survey or text the word WONDERING to the number 33444 and follow the link or the instructions to fill out the survey. It'll take you less than three minutes, and it would be really helpful. So thank you so much for taking a moment of your day to do that. And of course, the reason that I want to get to know you better is so that I can make the Relationship Alive podcast as helpful for you as possible. So if you're finding that it's making a difference in your life, please also consider a donation to help support the podcast and ensure that we can continue. To do that, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and just choose something that feels right for you. And this week, I would love to thank... Carol, Timothy, Kevin, Elaney, and Karina, thank you so much for your generous and ongoing support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Okay, two more quick things to tell you about. The first is that if you haven't downloaded it yet, there's a free guide available for you with my top three Relationship Communication Secrets. These are the kinds of things that you can do when you're communicating with your partner or someone important to you so that no matter how challenging the topic is, you can stay connected with the other person. So to download this free guide, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And finally, if you haven't joined us yet, we have a free Facebook group called the Relationship Alive Community, where we've created a safe space for you and other Relationship Alive listeners to get support in your relationship and other issues. There have been some great conversations happening there. So just look for the Relationship Alive Community on Facebook and click join and we'll let you in. All right, I think that's it. Time to get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin, and we are coming to you in full technicolor today, uh, which is a first for Relationship Alive, not a first for our illustrious and lovely guest, Stan Tatkin, who's back on the show. He was here in episode 19, way back when we started, talking about a recipe for a secure and healthy relationship. He was also here talking about his book, Wired for Dating and Love, and talking about psychobiology, which we'll um, address a little bit in today's episode, back in episode 50. And you can listen to either of those episodes by visiting neilsatin.com slash Wired or neilsatin.com slash Wired and then the number 2. Um, so we'll make this one neilsatin.com slash Wired 3. So you can uh, download. We'll have a transcript for this episode and uh, and any related links that we talk about over the course of our conversation. So we're here to talk about a couple things like the when we dive in to the work as a couple and that work involves how you maintain your connection, how you maintain your safety while at the same time keeping things exciting, but not too exciting because you're collapsing into fights and distress that it's a, it's a balancing act and it requires a level of skill that. We are just now really coming to grips with, like, what skills are required when it comes to relational excellence in long-term relationships? And Stan is one of today's leading experts in how to navigate that well. And one thing that I loved, Stan, in listening to your recent um, recording that you did for Sounds True called Relationship RX, which is all about overcoming chronic fights and in, in a relationship. I love that you were, you were right up front by saying, Hey, like, if you're in a real relationship, you're going to be dealing with this. I deal with this. I deal with this with my wife, with my, children and um and so there's not this this halo that like somehow because we're relationship experts um that we're not affected by things like getting triggered and getting knocked off balance and having to come back and repair so i'm excited to have you here to get real about this art of of how we stay safe and secure and there are also a few specific questions that I have for, for you along the way that have come in from listeners to the Relationship Alive podcast. Sure. It's a pleasure to have you back. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Neil. It's good to be back. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I would like to just let's just have a nutshell summary of. Psychobiology. What do you mean sure. by that? Since your approach is a psychobiological approach to couples therapy, which is the PACT that we see behind you here, for those of you who are watching.
1: Well, think of it as uh, as a study of the brain and the body. Right? It's we uh, it's, uh, could say it's a psychoneurobiology uh, or neurobiology, but psychobiology is uh, is basically taking a developmental approach to uh to the you know human primate, um the lifespan and in particular pair bonding uh with uh between with and between humans. Uh this is basically a capacity model, meaning we're looking at social emotional development from even in utero uh but postnatally uh we're looking at the networking of these uh uh structures and the function of these structures that allow us to be effective human beings with each other particularly when it comes to attraction and when it comes to distress uh, those are the two areas that uh, uh that encompasses uh the 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 burden placed on people um who are and are not socially emotionally
0: intelligent Right so this question of how we as organisms like what generates attraction in us on a physiological level as well as a psychological level and then also right. how do we manage the the problem states that come up
1: yes on a absolutely. physiological
0: and psychological level yes and a lot of what we see between human beings
1: is uh is uh, psychological to be sure but not in the traditional sense A lot of what happens between people is uh, involving automatic systems that are recognition based and not thought based. They're recognition based because we're fundamentally memory. That's how we operate. Everything we do is based on memory. There's, there is, uh, you know, on balance, very little that we do that requires the kind of cognition predicting, rotating objects in three dimensions in our head, you know, planning all of these things, contingent uh, 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 kinds of processing. Uh, we don't do that at any given time during the day, very much compared to how much we are automated and how much we are using these very lightning fast uh, recognition systems. And so we're talking here about the human condition, not about individuals per se.
0: Yeah, I loved in um relationship RX where you talked about how we when we first meet someone, we experience them, it's this like amazing, novel, new thing, new person yes. in our lives and but that very quickly you use the phrase we automate them. We push them yeah. back into the the rote memory that allows us to just function automatically with that person.
1: Yes nature has built in an uh energy conserving functions in our brain and our body if we didn't have these we wouldn't survive we wouldn't be here so we, we we can only perceive so much hear so much feel taste smell so much uh we only have so many neurons for those things and uh and uh because there's so much uh sensory motor information that we have to process at every moment uh, the brain has to gate or limit that information and especially limit the amount of information that floats up to consciousness or awareness. So most of the time we're doing things uh, on a level uh, where we're not being told Uh, We don't get permission uh, or or give permission to some of the things that we do by these primitive areas that are recognition memory based that allow us to go through the day and do the many, many things uh, that we do um, and still uh, conserve energy. So this is not a, a bug. It's a feature.
0: But in relationships, it can also be a bug. Yeah, right. Exactly. Because then you're, you could be stuck in painful memories of what's happened either in your relationship or the things that happened long ago that your relationship evokes, right?
1: Well, yes. In, in the love relationship in particular, a relationship I think of as the hardest one on the planet. Um, the reason it's so difficult is that it is a dependency relationship that replicates the earliest ones we have before the age of 12. And it has a very long memory. Whereas at work uh, with friends, it's there, but it's not animated in the same way uh, as it is when we start to depend on somebody and they become permanent in our head, or at least we think they are. And that's when we start to remember what it's like to depend on somebody. The good things and the not so good things. So this again is how we roll. This is the nature of of the beast, which is us, and it's normal. But the more history that's there that makes us, uh, you know, um, anxious and fearful of what will happen, the more our cha- our behavior is altered in
0: in a way that causes uh, relationship troubles. Mm, so what you mean is. The more history you have, the more pain you've experienced. The more history that's
1: not resolved or corrected by other intimate relationships. So we're hurt by people. We're healed by people. The, The kinds of things that we remember in relationship has to do with interaction it has to do with memory of how we felt and our perception at the time, not to mention our ability to think at the time developmentally. We're not, uh, for instance, there's a misnomer that we marry our mothers or our fathers. That's not true. We marry those people who we recognize um, as familiar, both in ourselves and in the people that we've been around. But what triggers us is the experience of being on the other end of those interactions. So I feel as I did um, when I was with my father and he yelled at me. I feel as I did when I was with my mother and she was late to pick me up at school again and again. So these injuries are what we anticipate the next time we depend on somebody. Uh, this is simply a memory issue. It can go away uh, also, um, but that's another discussion. It goes away in the relationship through reparative actions. Both partners have to really understand this. Again, nature doesn't build this into our DNA as something we are aware of and we do well because nature does not have a plan for long-term relationships. Nature has a plan for mixing up the gene pool. Uh, that's it. The rest of it is uh, on our shoulders. So, we have to now understand how the brain works, how the human being works, um, what not just causes problems in love relationships, but many of those problems are going to be with all relationships if we don't really understand what we're dealing with.
0: Let's tackle that for a moment. And I don't sure. want this to, to take over our entire conversation as it easily could, <laughs> but we here attention. we are. It, in in uh modern culture there's a there's a vibrant dialogue happening about whether or not we are designed to be monogamous and we had we had Helen Fisher on the show talking about how in a lot a of societies of Great. Yeah. And in a lot of societies that that's more like serial monogamy is kind of built into the structure of their societies and that in a way that's more natural. And yet here we are talking about successful long term relationships and acknowledging that in some respects we're battling nature, we're battling biology um, yes. in order to do that. So. And, and of course doing that, like, and when I think about clients I've worked with, and I'm sure you have this all the time, that there's this, this element of, of, well, why not? Like, okay, you're having a really hard time. Like, go your separate ways, find new people, do it all over again. You know, like, why not do that? So where, where do you come down? Cause I think you, like I do, do come down on the side of no, like, there's a lot to be gained in figuring this out and supporting each other. Uh, as you grow and blossom in your life and, and doing that with one long-term partner. And I'm curious to know, like, where do you believe that? Or is it, is it in flux for you or what, what are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, there are very, you know, very few animals on the planet are actually monogamous, uh, I mean the ones that are is what we study, like the prairie vole, uh prairie voles, uh the dick, dick uh the smallest antelopes in, in uh in Africa. They one dies, the other dies. Um they work together, they are devoted to each other because their lives depend on it. Um and uh there are certain voles, by the way, that are that are absolutely not monogamous. Uh and a lot of that has to do with uh with the brain structure and a lot of it has to do with neurochemicals and uh and so on so it it is And there are some humans that are more monogamous than others. Uh, You spoke with Helen. Helen, uh, you know, believes that there are some babies that are born, uh, you know, into an environment where there's a lot of testosterone. Uh, And those babies grow up into adults who have, uh, you know, great sex lives, uh, very, very long sex lives, but they also stray. Uh, from their partners. They also have anger management issues. (laughs) They also have other issues. So, uh, so we have to have another reason, uh, if we're going to be monogamous, to be monogamous. And that is entirely a top down, uh, process. Top down, meaning it's, it's one like we would do with moral reasoning. Uh, why should we not kill? There's, uh, there's, there's moral reasoning around that. Why should we be monogamous? Well, uh, you don't have to be. Um, if you say that you are, uh, uh, polyamorous, that's fine. But why are you polyamorous? So here now we're talking about the human capacity to override urges, um, impulses, mood, personality, all sorts of things in order to get along. You know, here we're talking about Social contract theory, how do societies, people get along? How do civilizations get along? Well, if you let people do what they do, they don't get along. They kill each other. They rob each other. They pillage. They do all sorts of things. History has proven that to us. So how do people then get along? Well, religion. It uh, was one way, uh, you know, uh, get people to fear uh, a God and uh, that God is watching you all the time. That will keep you in line. Um, we come up with uh, tablets from on high, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. That doesn't mean thou shalt not kill if I'm in the mood. Even even a two-year-old, three-year-old knows what it means. You don't do it. Right, So these are ideas that, uh, that form societies, form civilizations, so that people can get along together. That is not because they are the same people. They are different people with different backgrounds and different wants and needs, different brains. Now, when we talk about a couple, we're talking about the smallest unit of a society. That's a two-person system, and it operates by rules of social justice as well, unless there is no... There are no principles, in which case it's the wild west. So, why are you going to be monogamous? That's the important thing. Why is it a good idea for you, and why is it a good idea for your partner? And if you can't sell the idea to your partner, it's not going to work. If you can't say with complexity why it's really why it serves a personal good and a mutual good, you won't do it. So here we're talking about the the human capacity to override um, what would be our more primitive natures um, because human beings are fundamentally selfish, impulsive, uh, you know, moody, changeable. We're moving through time. Also, there are all these factors that, uh, that can really get in the way of a long-term relationship. So there has to be some unifying ideas that pull people together that both people are on board with. Otherwise they won't do it. So, that's what I think. But we're talking about two people having a vision uh, on the big ticket items agreeing on where they're going and that they agree on certain principles that, uh, that ensure that they're protected from each other and everyone else. Like, you know, does the relationship come first above all things? Doesn't have to. But if one person says yes and the other person says no, there will be trouble um so that's what how i'm thinking not so much whether the people are monogamous or should be monogamous or they should be serial monogamists or whatever they do uh, uh usually i don't see people that are unhappy so they're doing all this stuff and they're fine um but when they're not fine they come in to see me and you
0: right right exactly um and and i want to dive into that because i think it would be it would be really helpful to to talk about how to fight well and I know yeah. that's like the, the bulk of, of your uh, relationship RX program that came out with "Sounds True." And I also hear in what you're talking about, because you have a new book coming out as rel- as well, right? Yes. We do. We do, which is a pre-commitment, or premarital book. Yeah, yeah. So it must be tackling some of these questions about why are we yeah. why are we even doing this to begin with? Why are we doing this? What's the point? Um, you know, why do we get paid the big bucks?
1: What do we serve? Who do we serve? What's the point of this whole thing? And it's remarkable how many people cannot
0: answer that question. Stan, I want to dive into that a little bit more deeply. But before we do, we need to take just a moment to talk about today's sponsors and I'm really excited to share them with you. The first sponsor is a company called Care of. They are a monthly subscription vitamin service with vitamins made from effective, quality ingredients that are tailored to your specific needs. And the way that they do that is you take a quiz on their website that's very easy to take and quick, and at the same time, it more or less diagnoses what kinds of vitamins and herbal supplements you need based specifically on what outcomes you're trying to achieve. So vitamins are important because they help you maintain a healthy diet, especially if you're not getting all of your nutritional needs met by the food that you eat. And it's normal. I think over 90% of us um, are deficient in at least one uh, important vitamin, um, which you would find out by taking this quiz. Um, on top of that, the way that they decide or determine what vitamins you need is based on recommendations from clinical research and doctors and nutritionists um the one thing that i've found that's really cool about them is they send you a monthly package which has all of your vitamins all the different ones that you're taking and i'm actually taking nine um packaged individually per day so you just pull a package out of the box and each package has like a cool fact or a cool question on it and um, it makes it really easy to make sure that you get your daily dose of vitamins and as Chloe would probably tell you getting me to do something regularly that I don't already do is sometimes challenging. So it's been really cool to see that um, with Care Of, it's been very easy for me to just pull the packet out and check out the cool fact that's on it or the cool question that Chloe and I will talk about for a little while. And then I take my vitamins and feel really good about it. Um, they do offer vegan and vegetarian supplement options if that is important to you. Um, and I think overall they cost about 20% less than comparable brands that you would find in the store. And like most sponsors of Relationship Alive, they've also put together a special offer for you. If you would like to get 25% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins, you can visit their website, which is takecareof.com, and enter the promo code ALIVE at checkout. So that's 25% off your first month of vitamins if you visit TakeCareOf.com, as in you're taking care of yourself. So TakeCareOf.com, and then enter the coupon code ALIVE at checkout. So thank you so much, Care of, for uh, supporting me and my nutritional health, and for supporting the Relationship Alive podcast and our listeners with a really great deal on Great vitamins. Our second sponsor has been supporting Relationship Alive for a few weeks now. Their name is hungryroot.com and they are a service that sends weekly boxes of foods that you can make to enjoy a wide variety of inspiring, delicious, healthy dishes. All of the foods they send you are plant-based and gluten-free. Most of the ingredients are organic. They're really delicious, really easy to prepare. Um In fact, I think everything they send is either ready to eat or you can prepare it in 10 minutes or less. And this includes dishes like their fantastic sweet potato pad thai that's made with sweet potato noodles and a spicy peanut sauce and snap peas. Um, and then they also have this amazing almond chickpea cookie dough that you can eat right out of the bin. It is so tasty. You can also cook it in a few minutes and have actual cookies, but I'll admit that I haven't actually done that yet. Um, there are no commitments. You can skip a weekly box when you don't need it. Um, but I noticed that for me, It made eating healthy, especially during the day, like my lunches and some of my breakfasts even, they're really quick to prepare. And so, you know, I'm often trying to squeeze a bunch into my work day. And so it made it really easy for me to just quickly get something that was super tasty and helped me also feel like I wasn't just repeating the same things over and over again, like I tend to do without having someone like Hungry Root sending amazing food my way. So like Care Of, Hungry Root is also offering a really great deal for you to try them out. You can save $25 off each of your first two orders. So that's a total of $50 savings by using the coupon code ALIVE at checkout. So that's the coupon code ALIVE. You just go to hungryroot.com the word hungry, and then root, R-O-O-T, dot com. And then to get $25 off your first two orders, just use the coupon code ALIVE. So uh, when t- once you try them out, let me know what you think. And thank you so much, Hungry Root, for your ongoing support of the Relationship Alive podcast. And now let's get back to the show with Stan Tatkin. Chloe and I are actually doing a series on the podcast for our uh, our wedding vows where we're, nice. we're doing one vow at a time and just talking about why they were important for us and why, yes. what the, what the principles were and the values underlying the, the, the various vows that we made to each other. Right. And, and it becomes
1: sort of your ethical and moral um, compass, which then when, uh, when you have children, that is something that they see not hear about. You know, if you want to see how to fight kids, watch mom and I, we, we fight, we say things, we apologize. Uh, we come back together again. Uh, you know, watch what we do. Uh, how many couples can say that? Uh, you know, and so that's wonderful that you're doing that. Are you going to make them plaque worthy? Uh, you know, you have a plaque.
0: (laughs) I think posters are coming out for sure. They're definitely Instagram worthy anyway. (laughs) Um, and, and at the same time, it's, it's great. I think because it's a dynamic thing. So even though we made vows and those in some ways are static because we, those are the, the promises we made to each other. But even in just sitting down to talk about each one, they become a living thing. Yes. I feel like I'm talking about the constitution being a living document, but yes. it's kind of along those lines where, um, by being in conversation about yes. our agreements, it gives us an, the opportunity to live into them more and to decide like, wait a minute, is that, is that what I really meant? Or is that what you really meant? And yes, um, yeah, it creates conversation. The, the purpose of that, what you're talking
1: about is to make life easier, is to make the relationship easy because the world is not life is not. But the relationship should be resourcing, should uh, should not be resource expending uh, to the degree where you're. Uh, you're tied up with each other. So the whole idea of having these agreements, these principles that you you believe in, whether you're together, or you're not together, whether one person does it or not, this is what you stand for. The reason to do that is it makes everything easier and when one of you fall off the wagon in some way, the other person just invokes, remember this is what we do. And if you are true to your word, the answer should be you're right. I'm I'm so sorry. That makes life easier. Uh, When you both are on the same page with big items, that reigns in uh, both of your behavior. You know, it's so funny. I'll see... I just saw a couple this morning like this. Um, they never go through, they never talk about this stuff. They don't have any big ideas that rein them in or inform what they're going to do if then, right? And so they just basically do what they want, which is what most people do. Um, and then they wonder why they end up with a more threatening uh, experience in the relationship and accrue all this unfairness and injustice. So uh, these are very important things to have the big ideas um, uh, that we can cling to, that we can see, that override these day-to-day shifts and changes in us. Otherwise, we're not safe. And so, uh, uh, and so that's why the rigor of not just coming up with these principles, but also defending them when challenged by somebody. Can you uh, can you say to somebody? Uh, in a complex way, why you've decided to be monogamous, why you've decided to tell each other everything and be fully transparent. Because if you can't, then what's to hold you in when you don't feel like doing these things, right? So they're really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that reminds me of something else you were talking about in Relationship Rx that made an impression on me, which is, the importance of creating safety in relationship, yes. not just to avoid having, to avoid creating problems, and not just to uh foster positive energy in your relationship, but because when yes. you are safe, it actually allows you to live a more complex life. Yes. And I'm not talking about complex, like, Like, I'm overwhelmed because my life is so complicated. I'm talking about the kind of complexity that helps you feel like you're alive and thriving and not just doing the same thing over again. You're not in a procedural rote life. You're actually engaged and curious. But that safety is really required for you to engage in life that way.
1: This is something that people don't understand until they break the relationship, usually by some act of betrayal, uh, is that the safety and security system is really all the couple has. It is the foundation. It's the ground they stand on. And if met, if you either partner messes with that, um, it is, uh, like being uh you know it's like having an earthquake or uh, uh you know volcanic eruption it it is it takes a long time to recover from that uh and unfortunately people will learn this by uh by making that mistake but that is really the foundation of these interdependent relationships where lives depend on fealty and radical loyalty um because that's not how the world operates and so the couple is agreeing to do something that nobody else will do because people are basically a burden. Um, they're doing things for each other as full burdens that nobody wants to do unless they get paid a lot of money. And that's what makes them special. But they have to both see that this is mutually assured survival and thriving and also mutually assured destruction. That's the power they have over each other. Uh, and adult couples who are wizened to this get it. And they know that there are lines they do not cross and they do not mess with the safety or the security system of the relationship.
0: And that brings us into the conversation about attachment and attachment styles and how that impacts safety. And we spoke about this um, the other times that you were on the show. So I I don't want to spend too much time there. Um, But one thing that has been interesting since you've been on the show is that a lot of people come to the dialogue by saying, oh, I'm a a wave and my partner is an island or Mm -hmm. I'm an island and my partner is a wave. And I guess for the most part, it's the waves who are coming. The islands don't tend to come to the conversation. So um, at least in my experience, the waves are like, what the fuck do I do with my island partner? How do I bring them to the table? And um, so this makes me think of two things. One is some reassurance from you about, um, well, one, like how to not bludgeon your partner with the, with the labeling and how yes. confining that can be. Um, and then the second part is also, um, actually there are three parts. So one is (laughs) how to not bludgeon. The second is recognizing some, that there's some malleability in, in who we are. And, you know, I, I recognize that there've been times in my life where I've been totally secure. I've been that anchor that you talk about. And then even like Chloe and I were talking about this just before you and I started talking, like at the beginning of our relationship, I was more of a wave and she was more of an Island. And somewhere along the way, we actually switch, switch sides and, and I became more Islandish and she became more wavish. And, and in truth, we, we, we end up more and more anchored with each other, which is, I think where you want to be. Um, so there's not budgeting. there's malleability and what's behind that. Um, and then the last piece is, um, how to, this is for you waves out there and maybe for your islands too, who are listening, it's how do you bring a partner to the table? Like, especially a partner who seems, who seems shut down. Um, and like, um, you know, if, if you're a wave in, in those circumstances, you might be thinking, Oh, I either have to learn to live with this or I have to ditch this relationship because this person is not willing to show up with me. It's too, too threatening for them. Um, okay. So uh, that's a lot. Those,
1: let me, I, I've got it. Let me take them in turn. So, you know, one right. of the things that I was horrified, uh, when I wrote the second book with Islands, Anchors and Waves was people starting to read it coming in and I self-identifying. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. Um, uh, and here's the problem with it. One. Uh the, the, the human mind needs above all to feel or to be organized, to be able to take experience and be able to organize it. And one of the ways it organizes is by categorizing and comparing and contrasting. That's just that's part of the human mind. And so uh, as much as we don't like categories, we always seek them anyway. So. The problem with it is that the categories organize some kind of experience in order to understand something, but it also can be used improperly, just like religious texts can be used improperly. Everything can be used improperly. The dsm four or five rather, can be used improperly. So so it's not going away. We'll always categorize. But the problem also about misusing this uh, this need of ours is also not going away. So here's the skivvy on it. Um, these are not personalities uh these have to do with adaptations to environment when we talk about someone who's anxious avoidant or anxious ambivalent or i call th- th- that group sometimes angry resistant because of studying babies how they look um we're talking about a reaction to a system or a relationship the most uh, uh pro- probably important relationship the primary one where there's there's uncertainty, anxiety in in the interactions, right? The, the baby, the child learns to adapt to the needs and the behaviors and the expectations as perceived um, uh, by the, the caregivers, right? And then makes the adaptations. However, the problem is, is that these adaptations are born out of feeling afraid or anxious. If I do this, this will happen. If I don't do this, this will happen. And so, uh, as John Bowlby found, that insecure, insecurely attached babies, children, adults carry a bigger burden through life because, uh, their, their dependency relationships carry with it a memory of, of what could or will happen actually that changes their behavior that actually will, as I said before, will cause problems in the relationship. So I'm afraid of being used. I'm afraid of, of being interfered with having my independence taken from me having my stuff taken from me uh being co-opted used as, as a doll or as a performer you know dance for grandma um all of that gee that was really nice but also nobody saw me nobody really explained things to me i didn't get that kind of interaction this family was all about performance and all about appearances and that is a burden and i'm angry because I resent that. Um, or if I'm in a family where I had to take care of one of my parents and emotionally regulate them, I was discouraged from growing up, separating, individuating, and I was rewarded for being little dependent. Right? I'm angry about that because I can never grab what I want. I have to wait for it to come to me, and then I will be uh, rejected and punished. How do I know this? I remember it so we're talking about fear we talk about attachment we're only talking about fear of what i know has happened and i anticipate it happening again that's all it is it's around safety and security so these are these descriptions are not real people there's no theory that, that actually defines a real person. It defines aggregates of people, a general idea uh, that, is, uh, that c- might be useful for a physician or a clinician to be able to reconstruct, based on very little knowledge, what this person's trajectory might be, what they're likely to do in the near future. That is useful for helping people. But unfortunately, it's used to bang each other over the head and to wrongly self-identify uh because of this condition that is part of the human uh um, bug uh of trying to uh label thyself. And it's false. So we have to understand that these are ideas, they're not people, real people are more complex. Secondly, to your third, to your second point, this is us. you know, attachment was studied with babies. And the adult attachment came later. It's still in its form formative years. And it is, again, based on aggregates of people, not individuals per se. And uh, it's um, uh, and it doesn't take into account a two person system, which is ultimately much more complex unpredictable, and phenomenological. So now you have two people interacting at lightning speeds becoming a system where you cannot tell who's leading or following. And is that an island or a wave? I don't know. Uh, This person is acting more distancing that causes the other person to claim more. More often than not, people who pair bond are more alike than they're not more alike. they just look like a duck but they're a dog and uh, we can test this out in in clinic by by shoving them together especially the person who says oh i want so much more i want to be loved i want to be held i want to be kissed i want more sex and everything and then you move toward them really quickly and you go would you like somebody who to like cling to you and they go no 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 okay so this is um this is an illusion that's created by the the this homeostatic process of a two person system like a mickey mouse balloon you squeeze one ear one ear and the other one gets bigger you squeeze the other ear and the other one gets bigger that's couples um uh, where there's one there's the other and so uh, i guess all of this to say that uh, it doesn't matter because two people no matter where they're coming from, can get along as long as they have a unifying idea of why they're together and why they're interdependent. That overrides everything. And what you're describing about getting somebody to come to the table, whether it's an island or a wave or a jackal, um, uh, it really has to do with survival, is it in your best interest to be difficult and to cause your partner pain, which is going to come right back at you? That's self-harming. Is it in your best interest to avoid conflict when that actually creates conflict? Um, you know, do it and have a good time. Um, when you are in a couple, it is a three-legged race. One of you goes down, the other goes down. The two of you are affecting each other immediately. There's nothing I can do to you, Neil, that you won't do right back. And this is, uh, this is the clown show sometimes that is us. We don't realize this. Um, because our, we've been acculturated to this idea that we're autonomous. We should be autonomous, independent individuals, but we are not. Um, that's partly true. We are dependent creatures. We are herd animals that pair bond in herds. And, uh, and there's no getting away from that. So, uh, that's the big, Uh, picture answer Um, as for the island islands have to understand that conflict avoidance isn't by itself threatening there's no way you can be conflict avoidant and not threaten your partner it's not possible so that has to be looked at Um, and the other partner the wave who's constantly bullying and and battering and pursuing and can't let go that's not going to work either so, both of them have to reel themselves in, in order to create a secure functioning relationship that protects them both from each other. That's how it's, ultimately, it's going to work. There is no other way. Mm. I hope that answers all three. So,
0: it is, yeah, yeah, that was great, actually. And, uh and it makes me wonder, okay, let's, let's bridge in to the conversation of, sure. um. Let's just say, okay, this isn't, this isn't quite working. And, um, and I want a way, whether I'm an Island or a wave to bring that up, that creates safety and brings both of us to the table. Yeah. So how would you approach that, um, in coaching a couple through that kind of dialogue? Well,
1: also consider this, um, if, you know, if the two of you, any two of you, uh, were on an island together alone, um, you'd either kill each other or you'd find a way to get along and work collaboratively and cooperatively, collaboratively and cooperatively. That's the key. Um, we have mutual interests, you and I. Um, and, uh, and sometimes people have to, you know, get beaten over the head until they figure it out. Uh, if you had two kids and they, and they're not, uh, getting along, you put them in a room, you don't get out until you guys agree on something that's good for both of you, they'll do it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of this
0: has to do with expectation. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we're not gearing into parenting strategies. Uh, yeah, no,
1: yeah, don't lock the door, you know, um, just need a little bowl of water for them. Um, but, but I, I say this because, uh, there are places and conditions in the world where people get this naturally because they don't have time for this. Uh, they're dodging bullets. They're dealing with real world dangers. They have to work together. Um, and, uh, again, the environment enforces this. But, uh, uh, but to get two people to do this really requires, uh, them to work together as a team to see that they depend on each other for, uh, you know, Uh, for anything that's going to be good um, and they have to work together or it will not work in any part of the universe Um, that's just not how it's going to work unfortunately we bring to the table our childhood experiences and what we saw with our parents and many of us maybe most of us did not see that and so we only do what we know and what we know is what we experienced and that's it i experienced that was too much unfairness in my family, too much uh, injustice, too much insensitivity. So now I behave that way. And I accuse you of being that way. I know when you're doing it, I don't know or care when I'm doing it. So there has to be a come to Jesus here of, of reckoning of how are we going to do this, you and I. So we work together, given our differences, meaning that at the bottom of this, we accept each other as is, and we go from there. And sometimes you, you work, uh, with what is not working. How do we put that into a principle that both of us can buy into that will rein us in? Uh, that will, uh, solve that problem, not by being different, but by doing business differently together. And, uh, and again, that has to do with a certain level of maturity of understanding this is a two-person psychological system, not a one-person psychological system. And most people out there are operating as a one-person system, which will never work because it's too unfair. Uh, it's too insensitive. And so uh, people will eventually complain. So the answer to that is, um, what do we stand for? Why are we doing this? What's the point of this? Um, what are we going to do for each other that we couldn't pay someone to do? Beyond attraction, beyond interest, beyond being in love, what's the point of us? And looking down the road in the long run, um, <clears throat> not just today or tomorrow. And it has to be cooperative and collaborative. Otherwise, it cannot work. So, uh, uh, But that's, that's what I, I'm heavy on with couples in my office. And when I see them not getting that, I'm very strong about this. I expect them. To do this Uh, there is no other way for them to get through therapy with me except if they do this otherwise they'll fire me Um, but but
0: again expectation is the big thing and maybe what I'm also hearing there um, is the the importance of both people realizing like it's not that I have to not be me it's almost like just a little bit less of me like a little bit But but less of me in the dysfunctional way, like if we're willing to both look at a situation and say, like, you know what, when I just rather than like, let's just say, like, for me, when I'm feeling more islandy, it's because I haven't trusted that my partner could really hear what I had to say. And it would yep. be or that I could deliver it in a way that wasn't going to blow up into something crazy. So for me, right. it's easier to just go and um, be in my own world or deal with it on my own than it would be to to lean into the relationship right. Um And vice versa, when I've been more of a, of a wave, I can recall times where I've been more like, Oh, if I'm not willing, if I, if I let this go, then it's never going to get resolved. It's up to me to, to like pull my partner into this conversation, into this dialogue, no matter what. Um, and of course, in the process, like driving them crazy. So, um, so I'm talking about one person being able to have a little bit more space, but in the context of recognizing, like if all I do is take my space, then the things that actually matter to me may never actually get resolved. And my partner may never actually get to know me because right. they just know the, the, you know, the still waters part of me, but they don't get the run deep part of me. Right. Um, or on the, on the other side, you know, my partner may never really know me because I've turned the volume up so loud on who I am that that their system is just is just um, you know blocking them from me as much right. as possible, right? Um, so this is, but in that uh, context, both people yeah. can come to the table and be honored in who they are, right? So this is a very good
1: point. No, people um, have to be who they are. If uh, you don't you don't do these relationships to be a different person, Um, you do these relationships to be to relax and to be exactly who you are. But but having said that, you're in a two person system. Therefore, I you know, when dealing with you, I have to take care of you and me at the same time. I can't just take care of me. Um, if I want to get anywhere or get anything or to be heard, then I have to, uh, I have to keep you in mind every moment. Watch you, watch your face. You are my audience. If I, uh, blow you out of the water, game over for me. If I'm insensitive and and I don't notice, I just stepped on your toes or hurt you. And I don't stop the presses and go, um, I'm sorry, are you okay? Did I, did I do that thing again? If I don't do that, I lose. And so this is this way, right? It's not this way, this way. And you're in each other's care. Therefore, it's not just about you. It's about you paying attention to the other person, your audience. How do they hear things? How do they see things? I know you, Neil. I know what makes you tick. I know what scares you. I know what uplifts you. I know what I do that, that, you know, uh, that makes you crazy, right? And if I don't, Acknowledge that or take care of you at the same moment, I lose you as an audience, and now we're going to be at war. So, people can be people should be who they are, but they have to remember that, uh, that what they do, what they say, how they sound has an impact on this other person who has their own prism that they're looking through, and that prism is changing constantly according to their state of mind. This is where the consideration and the realization that I'm talking to a different animal, the animal that is you. I have to be a Neil whisperer or I get nothing. You have to be a Stan whisperer or you get nothing. And so many of us talk and act as if we're the only ones here. And it doesn't bother me if you did that. I don't know why you're upset. Um, uh, Right. Uh, It's it's all about me. And I don't realize if with this animal that's Neil, if I approach on the left, I get bit. I keep approaching on the left because I'm angry. I should be able to approach on the left. I'll get bit every time. That's stupid. It really is about not being a different person, but about fucking getting it in your head that you are with someone who's different. And you have to know that at all times, or you suffer the consequences. Full stop.
0: Yeah, and right on. And we lose. We
1: lose. We learn. We dust ourselves off. Oops, sorry. And then we get another chance because the universe keeps pitching us. There's always a chance to get it right and to work it out. Um, But the key is also coming back to the table and fixing it. Always. Because of a memory problem. If we don't fix things uh, quickly, it goes into long-term memory. And now we've got a whole bunch of
0: backwash that we have to litigate. Yeah. So... So wow, there's a lot right there in that last bit to to unpack. So there's the question of if we if we don't repair quickly, yeah. then we're creating a more we're creating more challenges for ourselves in terms of how we recover as a whole as a couple. Yes, and that's the biolo-
1: biology part of it. Memory becomes biology. It becomes in our body and it becomes part of that fast recognition system so that as soon as you begin to tilt your head a certain way or your voice starts a certain way, I know what you're going to do. I'm going to shoot first and ask questions later because I've been down this road.
0: Right. And then there's the other piece, which is so important, and it's come up over and over again on the show, which is that that the you're doing... Two simultaneous things. I mean, you're probably doing more than two, but let's just say you're doing two simultaneous things when you're in conversation or let's say an argument with your partner, which is there's the content of what you're trying to resolve, but then there's also managing awareness of, oh, I'm triggered. Oh, my partner's triggered. And once that's happening, all bets are off and we have to come back to uh, being in, you call them the ambassador part of the brain, but being in the, in the forebrain so that we can actually be social and creative with each other. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about like, all right, we've got some challenging shit that we got to deal with as a couple. How do we do that in a way that honors an awareness that probably what's going to happen is one or the other of us is going to get hijacked. And How do we, so how do we do it responsibly without avoiding it? Because we're, we're worried that, that if that happens one too many times, we've just, you know, blasted ourselves in our long-term memory. So the rule of thumb is avoid nothing. Um,
1: but, uh, keep it short. So, uh, we're entering into an area of importance where there's stress, where there's distress, where there's memory, where there's, you know, proceed with caution. Therefore it's incumbent for us to remain orderly. By orderly, we stick to one topic and one topic only. There's no two people that can handle two or more topics when they're under stress. It will never happen. So if we want to get anything out of this effort, if we want to get something done, we have to be disciplined, orderly, and stick to one thing. That's on both people to do. Stay on task. The first person who brings up an issue wins, or at least goes first. Uh, and my job, if you have a grudge or something that you're upset about, my first thing I do, if I want to get anything from this, is I have to lead with relief. I have to do something that disarms you, lets you know I'm a friendly. Uh, otherwise, I lose you as an audience member. And now we're going down that road. So. You're right. I know I do that. I know I have and, and I don't say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Or, I'm sorry you thought of it that way. No, I, I know I do that. And, uh, I'm sorry I did it. Right. Uh, I honestly, you know, doesn't matter whether I meant to do it or not, but I'm sorry that I did that. Um, here's though my gripe, uh, you know, in return. Right. But, but, we're regulating each other because if at any time, because we have this negativity bias and our brains are built more for a war than love, at any time we can set a fire that's going to encompass or just, um, uh, you know, kill both of us, right? So a lot of this is as being skillful, both people putting fires out quickly so we can proceed. If you don't feel that I can uh, fix, repair, make right, make amends, Admit a wrong, then you are going to increase your blood pressure, your heart rate. You're getting closer to what we call a hypothalamic system, which basically means fight, flight, or freeze. And uh, now we're going to start to go to war. Good times, right? So remaining orderly, sticking to one topic, first things first, one at a time, and keeping it short. People don't understand that when we're under stress, our ability to take in words or to formulate words and thought becomes impaired the more our blood pressure increases. This is simply, again, it has to do with readying ourselves for for what feels like we have to take action on. So uh, so we have to watch that with each other. Otherwise, we blow each other out of the water. So, uh, so I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to say, you know, this really... It really bugged me what you did. Um, it really hurt my feelings, uh, when you did that in front of everybody. Full stop. The more I talk, uh, the more I'm holding you in a position where it's not neutral. You're going to increase in your arousal and I'm going to pay for that. Also, the more I talk, the more likely I will throw in a dangerous word or phrase. And now that's all we'll be talking about is that, that, uh, that that piece that uh, that your brain is sweeping for that says, "Okay, I thought you were pulling out a gun. I'm doing that now. So fast, short, friendly. Both people are are agreeing that they're trying to get to mutual relief as quickly as possible. How quickly can we take this off the table and then have lunch? and uh and and people don't often know how to do this they don't know how it works we don't really resolve too much but we relieve each other um so we can push the ball forward and now i'm okay for now until the next time so uh yeah i'm sorry i hurt you you do that all the time i know i know i'm 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 sorry i did that i was really nervous and that's why i did it i wasn't thinking of you that's not cool you know what would help me is the next time I do that, because I I know I'll do it again. Um, is just when you start seeing me do that, just cue me or just before we walk in the room, remind me now this is smart because we're creatures of automation and reflex. If I tell you Neil, not don't do that again, you will do it again because we, we, like I said, we don't think we just act and react reflexively. So, the chances I'm going to do that thing again is 100%. If you remind me just before you predict me, I won't do it. If, um, if you let me know right away, then I can fix it. And then I start to remember not to do it. So people, again, have to understand how memory works. Um, but people let things slide. They wait until two weeks later. Uh, it's like being angry with your dog for peeing in this morning. Dog is upset, but does not
0: know what you're talking about. We're that way as human beings. We're not that smart. I'm curious too. There was one thing that, that jumped out at me. Um, as part of your conversation about, about resolving fights and, and I love this emphasis on keep it simple and short and, and come back, come back to each other. Um, you also talked about the way that we sometimes start up a conversation that it creates more harm than good versus being willing to just kind of lay it on the table. Right. Right up front. So as opposed to like the the like, there's something that's been bothering me for a while and I really want to talk like just blah saying it. So what's behind that?
1: Uh, That's well, um, uh, that is uh, anxiety. And it's also a particular style uh, of, of way of processing information where by people many times think out loud. And thinking out loud is fine, but you have to understand that as you're thinking out loud, you're boring your partner, or you're 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 mm-hmm. you're making them wonder what the punchline is. And so, because we have this negativity bias, uh, in the absence of knowing something, we're going to fill it in with something not so good. So, as I'm leading up to this, and I'm telling you, you know, Neil, I'm. I don't want to say this because it's going to hurt your feelings. Um, your blood pressure is going up, your heart rate's going up. Um, and don't get mad, please. You know, last time you got really mad at me and then I had to go to my mother's for the rest of the whole weekend. Blood pressure going on there. You know, uh, and, and I'll try, I'll try not to hurt you. I mean, by this time, um, you're going, the next thing, uh, that's going to happen after I stop is you're going to punch me. Uh, because I, uh, I alerted you to something and you're physiologically doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to prepare for the tiger who's going to eat you. So uh, that's not good. So whereas we want to lead with relief and go, the first thing is, you know, you're right. Or I'm sorry, uh, uh, I did that. Or can you explain what it is? Because I don't even know what I did. Uh, but something that that relieves that person quickly. Also, you want to hit it um, and then repair then take it down. So, um, you know what? I'm not going tonight. And now you're upset with me. Let me explain why. Um, uh, okay, so the reason for this is all physiological. Um, uh, I, I hit it when you have the most headroom, because with news, anything, uh, there's a spike. And then I soothe it. Then I fill in. But if I fill in before, that's called burying the lead. Um, uh, i 'm taking too long to get to my point and and arousing you unnecessarily, uh, and so it 's the other way around all of this is based on on again biology physiology it 's not personal it 's just how we are uh, so you hit it and then and then you explain and soften uh, from there. Um, but you also uh, relieve somebody immediately when they're upset with you. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And I I can see the value in that. Yeah, for sure. Because, because of that very reason that whether it's your own anxiety, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this problem or the way that you're stirring up the other person's anxiety. I mean, at that point you're in this reciprocal anxiety um, circuit. Um, You know, your mirror neurons are probably going crazy. And so, um, so imagine you're
1: a child and you're getting a shot and the doctor says, okay, sweetheart, um, I'm going to stick this big fucking needle into your little tiny arm and it's going to hurt like crazy for a second. Um, and, uh, uh and are you up for that? I'm going to give you a lollipop so maybe you can choke on it. I mean, uh, right now it's like, oh, look over there. <laughs> Boom. Done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sweetie, for hurting you. It's all over now.
0: Okay, so uh, maybe people will get it with that image, right? Right. I swear, there's a viral video somewhere of that happening, and then the little kid oh, really? boom right in the nose. You know? <laughs> oh god! Yeah, I know, I've seen that. It's um, unwise. Right. Well, I but but overall, the message is intact, which is yeah. um, if you're if you're always setting the stage for that you are there with your partner. You're not out to get your partner. And even when you have bad news to deliver, I'm Mm -hmm. not going tonight. And I'm still here with you. I want to work through this. We're in a, like no one, uh, we, we both don't get out of this unless we're both succeeding here. Um, so if you can hold your own, your partner's disappointment while you're holding your truth around why you can't go just using that example. Um, Then you're going to you're going to avoid the you know, the getting punched in the nose by by offering the bad news because you're there in a context of mutual support. Right. So it's yeah, yeah, it's like, how do we always preserve that context?
1: Uh, The reason for these errors, because they are errors. The reason for these errors is the reason I am doing that with you is because I'm thinking of me. I'm not thinking of you. I'll say I'm thinking of you, but I'm not. I'm thinking of me. I'm afraid of how you'll react. I'm afraid of the consequences of my saying this. And that signals something to you quite differently, right? You don't know that. All you know is what I'm I'm serving you with. And this is where people are misunderstanding each other all the time. Um, I think I'm communicating this, but I'm not. Well, that 's because i 'm thinking only of me i 'm not thinking of my person so uh, again we 're back to this idea of a two person system of taking care of myself and the other person at the same time, and this is sort of the selfishness or the self centeredness of insecure uh, insecurely attached people is that they consider themselves um, uh, first and even their um, even their sparing their partner is also Saving themselves. Um, and it's not really considerate. It's not really sensitive. So uh, a lot of this gets taken care of once we get the idea, right? I have to consider you, uh, not consider the consequences of, for me. Uh, and if we're doing that for each other, we're serving each other. Uh, and that's how we remain respectful and safe.
0: Yeah, great. I mean, it's such an important skill because. Disagreements will occur in relationship. They need to, they need to, because you're two different people. So, um, and, and that makes me think about one other thing, but do we have time for one more question? It's, it's actually, we're at quarter past the hour. Um, Because I, what often comes up in this conversation toward, toward the end, like we establish, okay, we want to create safety for each other. We want to, and I, I get it. Like even when we're fighting, we're gonna, we're gonna focus on the safety. But then there's like the flip side, which is, wait a minute. If we're feeling like so safe and cozy with each other, like where's the, where's that hot, where's that passion? Where's the sex? Where's the, Where's the the excitement, you know, that comes from the tension of like, I mean, I don't know, that hasn't been my experience in relationship, but it's a question that comes up, which is like, wait a minute, isn't the safety gonna sort of kill something? Like, are we going to be too safe in our relationship? And I'd love to hear a quick answer on that. Yeah.
1: Well, a lot of people keep um, the thrill alive by scaring each other, and uh, that's not good either. That'll kill you soon. Um, um, being safe with each other is not about eroticism. Uh, being safe with each other is, is knowing that you can depend on each other with your life. Um, but if you're always wondering whether the relationship will exist tomorrow or whether your partner is going to betray you, um, that may make you feel more excited about your partner. But that sucks. Um, there are other ways to be excited about your partner <laughs> without scaring the shit out of each other. Yeah. Um, and that has to do with knowing how to co-create exciting love, which is the dopaminergic, addictive love that Helen Uh, Also talks about Helen Fisher. Um, but it's well known. And, and that is, uh, that is through direct eye contact. It's through, uh, shared novelty, uh, attending to a third thing that's completely new. Um, doing things together that neither of you have ever done levels the playing field. Uh, but also quiet love, which is basically shutting up and just relaxing together, um, without doing anything. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways to, to, co-generate these states, but people have to understand that it's done that way. Um, and it will never, ever, ever be the way it was when you first met, because it's impossible. Um, you know too much about each other. That doesn't mean you know everything about each other, and it doesn't mean that you really know each other as well as you think, because of that memory problem, that automation issue. When we automate each other, we only think we know each other. Um, and that's when we're making all these errors. When I look into your eyes and we stay there in a gaze, you suddenly become a stranger enough to me to where you are different. And I can't predict you in this moment. That's exciting, right? If I'm not looking at you, you're the same as I always thought in my head. I don't see anything different because I'm not looking. So the antidote to automation. The only antidote, other than senility, um, is presence and attention. That's it. Presence and attention. I mean, there could be a time when we become senile. We go, "Oh God, you look like a pretty young woman. Who are you?" You yeah. <laughs> know. Um, then it's all new and fresh again. Uh, but I don't think you want to wait till that <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's also why it's so important to foster the skill of being curious because as, as much as you wake up your curiosity, then you're, you're probably pulling people out of that automatic place into a place of like, wait a minute. I actually don't really know you. And, and what can I discover about you? Yeah. Automation is a trance. It helps us get
1: through life and do things that we ordinarily couldn't do, right? If We we wouldn't get out of a corner of a room if we didn't have that feature. But it also makes us bored. It also makes us think that we know what we know. And by the way, people, you know, wonder why time flies faster as we get older. That's because we've automated more things and we're not exposed enough to new things. We don't throw ourselves into novelty anymore. And so... Why? Why wouldn't time fly by? Everything's automatic. So this is another reason to do this now with your child, with your partner, with your parents while they're alive um, is to be present. Pay attention. Look, look at every detail of the face of the eyes. People are interesting.
0: They're not interesting in our own heads. Just not. Yeah, so true. I love that. Well, Stan, yeah. it's always great to have you on the show. You have such you. deep wisdom to offer, and I'm I'm glad to like now we've got the trifecta. Not that I I mean I I hope to have you on again, of course, but um this is a perfect I think next dose in the series of Stan Tatkin on Relationship Alive. Um your your work is obviously having a huge impact on our culture. Um, I know hope. because people are talking about it all the time. And, uh, and I, I love your relationship RX recording that just came out. It's eight hours Thank long. You. So there's a lot to offer a couple that's learning how to handle problematic situations with more ease, more resilience. Um, looking forward to your We Do book coming out. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our of our conversation. If you want to download a transcript, you can visit neilsatin.com slash wired three, uh, wired referring to Stan's earlier books, wired for love and wired for dating. And, uh, or you can always text the word passion to the number 33444. Follow the instructions and you can download the Transcript that way. Um, Stan, if people want to find out more about your work, what's the best place for them to visit? And I know you're training therapists as well as working with lay people. Yeah.
1: Right. So if you want to uh, to attend any of our couples retreats, which we do all over the world, and there are several coming up now on the East Coast and the West Coast, go to uh, the PACT, P A C T, the PACT Institute. Dot com. Our schedules are up for this year. And also, um, uh, if you are a therapist, and you want to be trained in this. That's how this started, was uh, teaching therapists. Uh, and if you're interested, it's really a fun approach. Same place, go there, and our schedule is up there for the entire year inside the
0: uh, United States and outside. Great, great, and I've I've heard from at least one person in your trainings how how amazing they are and how how much they're getting about how to work with couples. Um, hopefully you train people how to tell it like it is. You know, like you can't you get you you either come out alive or you die together. Like you got to figure. So Ride hopefully they get that from you as well, Stan. Yeah. Thank you, Neil, and congratulations right, well, on the upcoming. Book. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of relationship alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our relationship alive community, Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do.